I'm really excited about what we're learning at the moment, what God's teaching us. Um, but I, want, I just want to start by saying something in that somehow we all have to realise how important this is, this foundation that we're laying. And it's easy when you hear it to take it for granted, particularly if you've been around in faith life for a number of years. It's really easy to take for granted what we're hearing at the moment. And at the start of the year, God put on my heart to teach this, to, to go through Romans and lay that foundation really deeply. Um, because not a lot of people get the opportunity to hear this truth. Um, a lot of people hear something quite different. And because of that, they, they find their Christian walk hard because it relies on them and it relies on their ability. And um, I was talking to um, our old pastor from Preston uh, who has, goes by the legend name of Buster. Uh, that's not his real name, but apparently he's been called Buster since he was five. And I was talking to him on Friday because originally he was going to come down this weekend. Uh, he, uh, Norma, that's his wife's uh, sister, was ill, so they're coming down at the beginning of June instead. And I was talking about this, and I was saying, like, you know, when you sent us... Basically, when we moved down, which was... Uh, a number of years ago, Buster and Norma had us out in front of church in the papers and they said, go and preach the gospel in Cambridge. Go and preach the gospel of grace and faith in Cambridge. And I was saying, you, you really didn't tell me how hard that was going to be, did you? <laughs> and um, he's now uh, itinerant in the... He's sort of retired from the church, but he does itinerant preaching. He was saying he goes around lots of churches now. And one of the... He gets all sorts of responses to teach him what is truth. And he, he was doing a, a weekend, you know, like people have weekends away. He was doing one of those for, for a church up near Lancaster and they'd gone away for the weekend and he was teaching. And they, throughout the weekend, uh, everybody was getting like really, um, like they're starting to get revelation and starting to, to break free. And the, and the minister came up to him at the end of the weekend and he was, he was like troubled on his face. And he came up to Buster and he said, do you not think it's dangerous to tell people that all their sins are forgiven? <laughs> and so I chuckled at this and he said, no, he was serious. And he said, I keep encountering that. And, and one of the things that, that you find is that when you teach grace and faith you do encounter that and the trouble is it's so widespread me we laugh because you go how can you think that but actually that's how most people think and uh, so he, he he obviously said and, I, and he said what would you have said and I would have said well it's dangerous not to teach people that all their sins are forgiven because then you're not teaching the gospel yeah. but there is a fear that if you set people free they will abuse that and people will say, well, if you teach grace, really, it's a bit of a con job, isn't it? Because you have to keep your church in order. And the way you do that is you give them lots of rules and you tell them how bad they are. And they tell them what terrible sinners they are. Make them feel bad about themselves. And maybe they'll make it to next Sunday without being too bad. 
And that, that's how a lot of us approach our Christianity and, and a lot of people are taught. And uh, we've been privileged to avoid a lot of that for, for, for decades. But it, it is, is prevalent in there. And, and it, it's fear. And the fear comes from this. It's that if I treat my, the people I'm teaching as grown-ups, they'll abuse that grown-up. They'll, they'll abuse that. And people go, you're giving people a license to go and do what they are. And I said, well, I'm not giving people a license to go and do what they want. God gave them that license when he died for their sins because he trusted that he would find some grown-up mature believers who would walk by the spirit and not by the flesh. You see, in case you haven't noticed lately, people really don't need a license to sin. They're getting on with it quite happily without that. You know, what we need is a solution. And that's what Paul's going to talk about in, in this passage. So we're in Romans chapter 8, which is one of the, the great passages of the Bible. And we're going to take two weeks over it. Um, but we're going to stay in Romans chapter 8 all morning so you can, can go to verse 1 with a bit of confidence. Now, I'm going to ask you a question. Who wants to live for Jesus? You're not very, you're not very excited. Who wants to live for Jesus? Who wants to live for Jesus with everything they've got? Who's given their life to Jesus and they're going to live for him forever? Yes. You know, that's my heart. That's my desire too. But the truth is, that might not be God's best. It's not a trick question because that's how most of us think. And you see, we've been in this ministry Thing long enough now, you know, nine, ten years, to actually observe what happens. And we've observed lots and lots of people who, who are absolutely what you would call on fire for God. Young people, older people, on fire for God, wanting to step out in ministry, really going for it. I want to live for Jesus. I'm, I'll lay down my life for Jesus. And what we've observed is that nine or ten years later, they're burnt out. A lot of them, their ministries just collapsed or finished or, and they just got tired and disillusioned. And that's a, a really common pattern. And, you know, I was talking to Buston and one of the problems with that is that we, we are living in a generation where we could lose a generation because we're trying to keep them by passion and effort alone and we're in real danger this church generation is really in real danger of losing the millennials and we could we could lose a whole generation of people of young young people who are passionate for Jesus who get to the late 20s early 30s and they're tired and disillusioned and it's a repeat pattern and it's not that they don't want to live for Jesus it's not that we don't want to live for Jesus is it you see, I, I've, I've been there and I know what that feels like and I know what it feels like to be tired and disillusioned and, and, and thinking, this is just too hard, this Christianity thing. It's just too difficult. I'm like, I can't keep going. Like, there's all these, all these things that I hoped would happen and, and, I, and I've done everything I can. I've tried my hardest. I've thrown my whole life into it and I've not seen it. And, and, and many of us end up feeling like that. You know, even if that doesn't describe you, I bet you it describes a lot of people you know. 
And yet, the reason we, we, we sort of stick where we are and, and we're sat in our, our churches each week is because we don't know what to do instead. And so we, we, we go through this cycle of being a bit down and a bit tired and a bit run down, a bit disillusioned, and then we'll go to, I don't know, spring harvest or something, or we'll have a conference at church and we'll all be excited for two, three weeks, and then we'll go down our thing. And that, that's a, a cycle you see in, in so many believers. That's how they live their life, because they don't want to wake, walk away from God, but it's hard to keep going. You see... The question is, why do we see that in so many people? Just, just out of interest, how many of you have experienced that? How many of you, 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 you can associate with that sort of cycle? Okay, so that's, I'd, I'd say that's actually lower than the norm, which is good. I'm encouraged by that because you're here, so I'm encouraged by that. Now, so what's the problem? Now, you've got to hear this because I'm not being picky, okay? Go, just, just turn to the person next to you and say, Mark really isn't being picky here. But the problem is that people are trying to live for God. And you cannot do it. It is totally impossible to live for God. Okay, I've got, got Catherine and she's going, man, I have no idea where he's going with this. Okay, this is where I'm going. You aren't meant to live for God. As a new covenant believer, you're not meant to live for God. You can't, it's impossible, you can't do it, so stop trying. The truth is, under the new covenant... We aren't meant to live for God. We are to let God live through us. Okay, so can you see where I'm going with this? Because last week we looked at what happened and Paul said, in my will, in my abilities, in my natural strength, in trying to do what is right, I find I do what is wrong and I can't do the things I want to do because I can't live for God. But thanks be to God that he can live through me. You see, that's it, that, that idea of, of, you know, trying to live for God and feel that ending up like five or six years down the line, not because your passion wasn't genuine, just because you're tired and worn out and you can't do it. Paul was talking about that because that's what he'd seen. And he, 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 was, he was showing us that because we are different now we are born again, we don't live this life from our own abilities, our own strengths, our own natural passions alone. We have to live it some other way. Because they tried that for thousands of years before Jesus and they couldn't do it then either. So something changed because of what Jesus has done. And we were given a new heart, with a, 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 that which, which is one third, one third of us, like I said last week, is wall-to-wall Holy Spirit. And we have to learn and understand we live from that place, because that's the only bit of us that is new. So we don't try and live for God, we let Christ live through us. It, Paul says in Galatians, um, 
I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. But it's Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We, we live from that place of Christ in us. And um, what Paul is doing is, is in the last chapter we looked at last week, he, he's drawing this contrast between somebody who's trying to live for God and somebody who is letting God live through them. And the contrast is this. One is uh, defeat and tiredness and frustration, and the other is victory. Now, who wants victory? Yeah, we all want victory, yes. So that, that's what he's talking about. So Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I'll read that again. Because you should be cheering at this point. There is therefore now, let me encourage you to cheer. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Yay! Well, that's good, isn't it? I mean, that's good news. Because that's the gospel. The gospel is good news. Now, when it says, I, I've, I've studied this out really carefully. And when it says no condemnation, it means none. Zero. Zilch, no condemnation. There is nothing attaching to us of condemnation because Christ took it all on the cross. What does that mean for us? It means for us we see ourselves differently. We're meant to look at ourselves and say, I am the righteousness of Christ. And if that's who I am, that's how I live. I see myself as able to rule and reign in this life over all the stuff that, that, that pushes me away from God and I can go draw close to him and walk in victory over all the stuff that previously burdened me and condemned me and weighed me down. Because that's who I am. And the, and the, the, the life of a believer is living from that place of who they are, behaving naturally of who they are now. And we are not condemned. There is nothing that attaches to us because Christ took all of that. Now, so, some people go, they get all like upset when you say things like that. Like, don't you think it's dangerous to tell people all their sins are forgiven? No. It's the only way we can ever live any differently. Because we have to know who we are to live from who we are. Are you, are you, are you getting this? This is really simple stuff, but it's, it's totally profound as well. Now, who has no condemnation? There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I know I'm hammering this. Who's in Christ Jesus? Put your hand up if you're in Christ Jesus. Good. So this applies to all us. It's talking to us, Right? So when we walk according to the flesh, when we walk and try and do stuff on our own with our own abilities, our own understanding, our own reasoning, our own logic, totally uh, you know, absent from relying and trusting on the promises of God, absent and relying from trusting in the finished work of the cross, absent and relying, uh, from relying on the power of the Holy Spirit in us, then what happens is we end up in a position which we, Cheryl and I, see so many Christians we know, not, not you guys, but other people in, which is 
they carry around this like latent guilt, uh, latent fear, well, not fear, but latent sense that they've failed, that they've somehow not good enough and they've let God down. And, and they, they, they don't know how to uh, get beyond that. And, um, but when we walk after the Spirit, you move from that position of feeling a failure and condemned into peace and freedom, and that produces effectiveness. You see, some people, you, you know, I, I know Christians who, who go to the other extreme and say, well, if, if none of it's, if, it, if it's all this trying harder stuff and, and trying to do it out of effort and um, doing stuff for God doesn't, doesn't work, then I won't do anything. I'm just going to, I'm just going to sit here and lie here in this room and I'm going to, I'm just going to, I'm just going to listen to this music and, because I don't need to do anything and, and God does it all. Okay, Paul's not saying that. That's, you know, I, I, I don't have this gift of subtlety, subtlety, but just let me say that is stupid. <laughs> I cannot believe that there's a, there's a whole, whole group of believers that, that think that that's what it means. That's how you live your life. You just lie back and let God. Okay, that's just, it's copying out. We're on a mission to change this world, to affect this world around us. We're on a mission so that people can see the glory of God through us and the love of God through us. When we say that it's not about us living for Christ, the other side of it is, it is about Christ living through us. Now, what that means is that we let him carry the weight we, we, we trust in his promises when it looks totally the opposite. We, we rely and have confidence in him that we are not condemned when the enemy comes along and says we're a failure and you can't do it and God's not going to answer your prayers. We, we have this confidence that we're part of the family, that we're sons and daughters and all the resources of heaven are available to us. And with that confidence... We look to God and say, God, build your church, build your kingdom through us. That, that's, that's living in the spirit, with the spirit. Okay. You see, what the enemy does is he uses condemnation to rob. And he uses condemnation to rob us of inheritance. And, and the way he does that is he's really subtly plays mind games. We heard the mind games? There's a, in, in the old translation of the Bible, they used to call it the wiles of the devil. Wiles is a translation word that means mind games. He plays with your head. He messes with your thoughts. He messes, he, he just tries and screws you up, basically. Get you to think stupid things. Get you to think the wrong way around. And if he can do that, he can rob you. He can't do that, he can't rob you unless he can do that because he hasn't got anything else He's got no power or authority on this earth other than what we give him. And, and his main tactic that he uses against the body of Christ is that he tries to get the body of Christ to believe that God is angry at them and he's disappointed in them and, and that somehow they're letting him down. And when he can get people in that place, he can absolutely, he's not, it's not any effort at all for him then to convince them 
that God won't keep his promises and he's not going to answer your prayers because you haven't met the standard. And he plays these mind games with people. And, and what we have to do is recognise that they're mind games. They're not truth. You see, what he's trying to get you to do is forget that you stand in grace and get you over and out of grace into thinking it has something to do with you. And if he can get you out of grace, then you lose your access to what Christ has done. You're now reliant on yourself. And if he can get you into a place where um, you forget that you're a new creation and start living and carry on living like nothing happened when you were born again, then, of course, that takes away a lot of the power of the finished work of Christ. Because you're thinking you're somebody different from who you are. And that's how he gets at it. He plays these mind games. When it says there's now no condemnation, that word now is um, it's, it's a, to do with the tense of it. How can I put it? It's a present reality and experience which continues into the future. So there's now no condemnation. And now I'm three seconds on from that, there's now no condemnation. And now I'm three seconds on from that, there's no condemnation. And it carries on into the future. Because Christ died for all my sins. You see, a mind game that, 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 that a lot of Christians believe is that Christ died for your sins up to the point where you became a Christian, but now you're responsible for them. And he didn't die for your future sins. Well, Apart from the fact I can find no biblical evidence for that whatsoever, it's just not logical. It's just like, because when Christ died, I wasn't even born, so of course there were future sins. When Christ died, all our sins were future sins. But the, the, the enemy plays these mind games, and he, and he tries to get us to focus on who we were and forget who we've become. So we want to live in the reality of who we are and not have it stolen from us by these, these mind games, these deceptions. Verse 4 says uh, that Christ died in order that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, that's past tense, who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the spirit. Now, I'm going to explain this to you because... Um, basically, people get confused about what Paul is saying in this passage as well because they haven't put it together with chapter 7. And they get all... Thing and now, what we have to remember is, is that when the Bible was written, they didn't have printing presses, they didn't have laptops, they didn't even have pens that wrote that well on paper. And so... The Bible is written by people who are very careful about the number of words they use. I think that would be a blessing these days, but we're not quite there. I think it would make Facebook a lot shorter. I, I, I think it would be really helpful if we use less words. But, we'd, but it, then they had to, because the only way that this stuff got transported was on rolled up stuff that people carried under their arms. So you had to be brief. 
So you, that means that every word is important. All scripture is God-breathed uh, and useful for instruction, correction, and all the rest of it. It's God-inspired, but it's also God-precise. And so we, we need to read this carefully. Now, it's the Holy Spirit in us that gives us the ability to live this new life. And so I'm, I'm just going to look at two things this morning. Let's go back to verse 2. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free, say I'm free, from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as an offering for sin and he condemned sin in the flesh. Now, remember what I just said. We, he's using really precise words, so you have to read things carefully. I, I think part, a lot of the problems we get ourselves into is we, we, we skim it, and we have like these little notes, and we go, like, read it, read my notes, said the prayer at the end, I'm off to work. And, and actually, we need, you read the Bible carefully. Now, what he's saying, because he uses the word law, and it means two different things here. So what he's saying is the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law, capital L, could not do. So the law of the spirit and life is not talking about Moses and his Ten Commandments and all the 613 other rules and all the bits that the Pharisees and all the rest of them added on. It's talking about law as in principles. You know, like the law of gravity. It's a principle. It's a universal principle. The, the law of cause and effect. It's a universal principle. Entropy. Everything, energy is dissipating and everything is becoming more chaotic. It's a, it's a, it's a principle that is in effect that we all live by. We can't do anything about them. They are principles that are in existence in the universe. So when he talks about the law of sin and death, he's talking about a system of principles. And when he's talking about the law of the spirit of life, he's talking about a system of principles. And he's saying that the law, the Ten Commandments, 613 rules and all the rest of it, couldn't do what the law of the spirit of life can now do. Are you with me? So let me, let me explain this. And, and I... I heard this years ago, and I think it's... A, I, I like it as an illustration. So I don't care what you think. I, I like it. Okay, so... There's quite a number of people away this week on holiday. Yeah? Some of those, which I'm very jealous of... Well, I'm not actually jealous because we've got glorious sunshine outside, but they're, they're swanning it out round pools and eating ice creams and drinking cocktails and... And, and you think, I'm cooking my own tea tonight. <laughs> You're listening to me? Yeah, what a privilege. Well done, Roger. I'll give you your fiver later, yeah. <laughs> you never got less said that for anything less than 50 quid. Yeah. So, you see, they've, they've gone to wonderful places like Spain and, and like... Um, no, they haven't gone there, Les. <laughs> like Mallorca and Italy and, and there's some people in America and 
and they all got there by an aeroplane. Now, if they'd been born a couple of hundred years earlier, they wouldn't have been able to do that because they'd have been the other side of the invention of the aeroplane. Now, the reason they wouldn't have been able to do that is we have a principle in place in the world called the law of gravity, which is throw something up in the air, it comes back down. Jump off a tall building, you hit the pavement smack. That's gravity. It's the same for everybody. You, uh, look, just, just listen to me. Don't try this at home, but I'm really just telling you, if you jump off a tall building, it's not going to end well. Just say, I learned something useful from Mark this morning. <laughs> because it's the same for everybody. It's a principle. Now, a couple of, I, I can't remember the date, but a couple of hundred years back, maybe sooner, uh, more recently than that, we discovered something called the law of lift. That if you angle and you shape wings in a certain way, you were able to supersede the law of gravity and get above it and fly. Yeah? Now, it's not that the law of gravity has stopped. It's just that you now have something that is way above it and you can fly. And, and Paul is saying there's two systems in operation in the world. There's the, the principles of, of the sin and death and if you follow that route, it ends up splat, like the law of gravity. But there's another principle called the law of the spirit of life, which is like the law of lift that allows you to fly above that. And you don't have to live grubbing around at, at, at that, that same level as everybody has, dominated by sin, trying harder, beating your head against a wall. You can live differently. And it's the law of the spirit of life that has set you free from having to live down there. So as Christians, stop living down there. We live up here. Jesus has done what law could not do, is that he's given us a better way of living, which supersedes and goes way above that horrible grubbiness that we used to have to live in before we were born again. Got it? Right. Okay, no idea where I am. I, I, I like this quote. I read this quote, I don't know, 15 years ago. And it, it's, you know, sometimes a stick in your head. This one shouldn't have stuck in my head because it's long. But it's by um, somebody that I really respect. And, you know, I went to his, his Bible school. And they're the ones who are coming to do the Healing is Here conference. And he said this, Andrew Womack. The law that governed the old man declared you're a loser and a failure. You can't lay hands on the sick and see them recover. You can't prosper. You can't be happy. You can't have joy. The law that enforced that rule over you isn't over you anymore. It's underneath you. You don't have to live with that expectation. You don't have to live listening to those mind games. You, you can live according to the law of the spirit of life. It's not over you anymore, it's under you. So when the enemy comes along and starts saying that sort of stuff in your head, you go, no, I'm above that. I'm, a, I'm the head and not the tail. I'm way above all that sort of stuff. I soar on wings like eagles. And we can come out with all our favourite Bible verses and go, yeah, I know my Bible verses. Because we are designed to rise above the world system. 
and the enemy system and the God of this world who blinds the minds of everybody who hasn't found this yet. So we can live by the spirit of life. And so what he's saying is we've got an option. We've got a choice about how we live. And there's two different ways of living. You can live, according to that person who says, I want to live for Jesus, but by their own efforts and by their own energies and by, and, and the Bible calls that carnal or living after the flesh. Or you can live on this new system, this new way of doing things that only believers, born again believers, have access to, called the law of the spirit of life, which is called living after the spirit. Both are possible for every single person in this room. For every non-believer, only one is possible, which is to live according to the law of sin and death. But for a believer, both are possible. You can live carnally like you did before, thinking everything out, coming up with your own plans, your own ideas, your own schemes, your own efforts, your own energy, your own, all, all the religious stuff that we do around everything. And you can try and do it. And the really scary thing is, you might have some success that will encourage you to carry on doing it. The enemy's really good at giving us just enough success that we carry on doing the stuff. To, and, and if he can do that, he can stop us getting the big harvest. And we settle up for, settle for the tiddly one. That's northern tiddly one. Okay? And so that's where Paul's going to go on and he's going to say something really subtle about this. And again, that's why the words are important. So I'm going to read... Uh, verse 5 to 9. Those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. Those who are according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. For the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. Because the mindset on the flesh is hostile to God, for it doesn't subject itself to the law of God, for it's not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. However, you... That's you are not in the flesh. You are in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. For if anyone doesn't have the spirit of Christ, he doesn't belong to him. Now that should set us that we can understand that passage. Because it's saying if you don't have the spirit of Christ, if you are not in the spirit, you're not Christian. Yeah? You're not a Christian. But every Christian is in the spirit. Because you're in Christ and Christ in you. Now here's the point. A believer can walk after or according to the ways of the flesh. Or he can walk after or according to the ways of the spirit. When Paul uses the word in the spirit or in the flesh, he's talking about in the flesh is an unbeliever. In the spirit is a believer. Because if you're not in the spirit, you're not a believer. He says that. When he's talking about those who walk according to the flesh or after the flesh, either of them can do it. When he's talking about walking after the spirit, only a believer can do it. And he's saying 
that the thing that makes a difference is where you set your mind. What you think about and what you choose. Because you now have the Holy Spirit living in you, you now have the ability to choose in a way that engages the power of the Holy Spirit so you can live above that natural living. You can live in a way that accesses the promises of God, the power of God and the life of God and the love of God and live from that place. That's called living after the Spirit. And Paul is saying, I want you to set your mind so you're going to live for that place because that's the place that's going to set you free from all the stuff that's bogging you down, tiring you out, disillusioning you, burning you out and convincing you you're condemned and you're a failure. Because if you live after the Spirit, that has no hold on you. But go ahead, guys, just carry on doing what you always did. You, you guys, you just carry on just trying to do church your way. That's living after the flesh. But God, I believe now, it's kind of got to a crunch point in our society because God really cares about this generation that's gone missing. God really cares about a church structure that tells, that tells people over and over again that they're failures or a church structure that just says, you work hard, you, 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 you serve hard, you do this hard, we do this hard, we give everything we've got to build the vision. And, and I believe we're at a cringe point where God's calling time on that. You see, Jesus said, when I come back, will I find, will I find faith on earth? He didn't mean, will I find Christians on earth? He meant, will I find people who are prepared to trust me and me alone and live by faith as opposed to what they can do? And I believe we're at that point where he's asking us this question. Because he says they just live by faith, from faith to faith. And the way we let Christ live through us is by setting our minds on the things of the Spirit. And what he means by that is what you think about is crucial to the outcome. If you think about God's promises and God's truth and who you are in Christ and that you're a new creation and that you have the righteousness of Christ and you have a new heart which is full of the Holy Spirit and the love of God has been shed abroad in your heart and you can love people from that place even when you naturally don't want to love them, then you can see all the things that have been promised. And he's saying, I, I want people who live from that place. And and the only way that happens is if you set your mind to it. And the reason Paul took eight chapters to get there is he had to tell you that you were that person in the first place. So you could understand that you can set your mind on who you now are, not that you're just a Christian who got saved because you said a prayer and eventually going to get to heaven, but in the meantime, it's just hard work. He set you free to be free. It was free, for freedom that Christ has set us free. It was for life. It was so that we could demonstrate his love. It was so we could show the heart of the Father to the world and everybody we come in contact with. And to, to show that heart, he needs people who are changed. 
Because changed lives change lives. And so he needs people whose lives are getting changed by the Holy Spirit inside to outside. Because changed lives change lives. Programs don't change lives. Changed lives change lives. Letting the Holy Spirit change you will change people around you. So it's so important that we set our mind in the right place and we think about the right things and we, 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 we dwell on these truths about ourselves so we can live from who we are. Um, theologian who I... Uh, well, I've got a lot of his commentaries. They, they fill a whole long shelf of my bookshelf by a guy called John Stott. Who's heard of John Stott? Yeah? Well, he said this. To set the mind on the desires of the flesh or spirit is to make them the absorbing objects of thought, interest, affection and purpose. It's a question of what preoccupies us and of the ambitions which drives us and the concerns which engross us, of how we spend our time and energies, of what we concentrate on and what we give ourselves up to. Why is it so important that we think about these things? Why is it so important that we make that choice that, that we're going to be absorbed with what Christ says is true about us? And then we're going to live in line with that truth. Why is it so important? It's so important because of this, that the way our new life works, the way we become all that Christ has for us. The way we have that freedom, the way we, we don't go up and down all the time with, according to what's happening around us, the way we, we can stand on that level platform of grace when everything is just shaking around us is because we have guarded our hearts. You see, our hearts, are the, that's our new being. And the only thing, that our heart is the interaction of the spirit of Christ in us, our spirit, and our mind, will, and emotions. So the bit that we have that can affect the direction that that goes in is we set our mind on the things of Christ. And therefore, we guard our hearts. And, and Proverbs 4.23 says, As you guard your heart, that, or guard your heart with all diligence, for from it flows life, the issues of life. So it's really important that we look after the state of our hearts. And the only way we can look after the state of our hearts is to guard them and set our mind on putting and thinking on good stuff and true stuff and what Christ has done for us and thinking about keeping our focus on Jesus and him alone and his complete victory and not on all the other stuff that goes on outside of that truth. We're setting our whole being when we set our hearts. And when we set our hearts on Christ, life flows because Christ lives through us. When we set our hearts on Christ, he lives through us instead of us trying to live for him. And that releases life. That releases freedom. It releases healing. It releases peace. It releases joy. It releases, like, I don't know, energy. 
You know, there's, there's nothing so tired as a disillusioned Christian. Yeah, have, you, have you noticed that? It releases hope. I'll just finish with a quick story. So a lot of you know the, the, the long version of it, and there is a really long version. I can bore you for ages on this one. But quite a number of years ago, um, I was placed in a really difficult position at work. And basically what had happened is that some people had made some mistakes and in trying to avoid those mistakes, they had set some of the people up to be the fall guys. And I was the prime person they'd set up to be a fall guy. And it was all to do with, that's the reason I came down to Cambridge. I, I was... Uh, given one story, but the truth was I was brought down here so I could be a fall guy for some people who've made mistakes. And you can, you can get quite bitter in your heart about that once you find it out. But it was a really, really serious situation. Um, major, major issue for, for the firm that I was part of in terms of um, its, uh, how would you put it, its reputation. And um, it looked like everything was mounting up so that everything pointed to me, even though I knew it wasn't me. And stuff that I knew was there couldn't be found. And what happened was that for, I think it's months and months, because our, our office was on Station Road at that time, near, you know, near the railway station, and I would, before I went in the office, every morning I would walk up and down Station Road and go, God, the things that they're saying about me, the things that they're trying to pin on me, the things that they're trying to, to show and implicate me, I know they're not true and you know they're not true. And I'm not, I refuse to let condemnation, I refuse to let fear, I am not a child who, of yours who lives in fear, I'm a child who lives in victory. And I am the righteousness of Christ. And you, I'm part of the family of God. And if you are for me, who can be against me? And I proclaim and I declare to every enemy that I have that God is for me so no one can be against me. You will not have the victory here. That I, have, I am walking in righteousness and holiness and truth and I live from a place of divine favour and the favour of God rests on me and all the resources of heaven are mine and right now because I'm seated in heavenly places I declare that the plans of the enemy will not come to fruition I bind their activities here on earth and I lose truth I lose life I lose freedom I lose the gospel I lose the glory of God the glory of God will be displayed in this place and week after week, month after month, I walked up and down Station Road every day before I went into work declaring those things. And eight, well, 19 months later, I was totally vindicated because I refused to live from my flesh and refused to live from fear. I live from my spirit. And it makes a difference because there is nothing else. There's no other power which can turn around the natural situation other than the power of God. So don't rely on you. Why would you want to do that when that just makes you like everybody else in the world? Mere men. We are not mere men. We are new creations. 
And we're meant to rule and reign in this life. Amen? Amen. Let's stand. Father, I thank you. I thank you that you are such an incredible saviour. That you have given us your righteousness, that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That we can live according to the spirit of life. Sorry, the law of the spirit and life. And we don't have to live according to the law of sin and death. We have been set free from that. And Lord, I'm choosing right now, I'm choosing to set my mind on the things of the spirit. 